Good morning. Welcome to Lakeview. My name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here. And so if you're joining us in person or online, I'm uh, excited to worship with you today. We're going to be continuing our series on uh, the, the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah and how they were fulfilled in Christ. But before we dig into the scripture passage today, uh, let me just... Uh, give you an update on the Christmas Eve service. Right now we're planning to have two services on Christmas Eve, one at 3 p.m. and the other at 5 p.m. Um, and so we're trying to make them a little bit earlier so that people have a little more flexibility in their schedules. If your family's like mine, uh, on Christmas Eve we do uh, stockings with the boys and then we do presents on Christmas morning. And so uh, we're moving them a little bit earlier just to give a little bit more flexibility and we're also asking you to register for the Christmas Eve service if you are planning to attend. Uh, Christmas Eve is typically a highly attended service every year, and so um, legally we can seat at 50% uh, occupancy, which is 187 people in this room. Um, so we're limiting the registration to 100 so that we have plenty of room to bring a family member. If you have family in town visiting you, feel free to bring them. You don't have to worry about registering them. Um, if you want to invite your neighbor or a coworker or a classmate or somebody and bring them along, that'd be great. We should have plenty of room. So uh, if you haven't registered for the 3 o'clock or the 5 o'clock, please uh, go to our website, lakevc.org, and sign up for the service you're planning to come. Uh, that's Christmas Eve. Now, we are going to be uh, in our series, our Advent series about uh, the Son of God revealed. Jesus uh, fulfilled somewhere between 200 and 400 prophecies in the Old Testament. The reason why those numbers are different is because it depends on how you count the prophecies. If Isaiah gave one prophetic utterance that had five predictions of the Messiah in it, does that count as one prophecy or five? Well, Bible scholars count them differently, and so uh, it, however you look at it, Jesus fulfilled hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament. And we're looking at some of those prophecies in our series. Let me just give you this little quiz. I have three prophetic uh, words from the Old Testament. We'll see if these are prophecies that were fulfilled in Christ or not. The first one comes from Jeremiah 31, 35. This is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now, if you think that Jesus, uh, this was a fulfilled in Jesus, then raise your hand, yes. If you think no, we'll, we'll do that in a minute. How many of you think this prophecy was fulfilled in Christ? Okay, how many of you think no? How many of you are like, I don't have any idea what that even means, <laughs> Right? So this actually is a prophetic word uh, by the prophet Jeremiah, and it was fulfilled in Christ. You remember um, in the Christmas story when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the city where Rachel, who was Jacob's wife in the Old Testament, was, was buried. And so Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and then King Herod in Jerusalem heard that the, the new king had been born in Bethlehem, and so what did he do? He sent his soldiers there to kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem so that he would have no uh, competition for the throne, right? And so uh, just no doubt dozens or maybe hundreds of baby boys were murdered uh, by King Herod, and that's Rachel weeping for her children who were... Uh, who are no more. Um, so that was fulfilled in Christ. Here's one from Psalm 72, 9 through 10. 
May the desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. How many of you say, yes, this was fulfilled in Christ? How many of you say, no, I don't think it was? Uh, It was fulfilled in Christ. Does anybody know how this was fulfilled? Anybody have a guess? Shout it out if you have a guess. The wise men, yes, yep. So the kings from distant lands came and bowed down to him and gave him gifts. Uh, And you could also, uh, some scholars believe that the desert tribes refer to the shepherds who were out in the fields abiding and came uh, to worship the newborn king. All right, uh, here's the third one, Hosea 11.1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. How many of you say, yes, that was fulfilled in Christ? How many of you say, no? How many of you say, I'm not sure? (laughs) So it is fulfilled in Christ. When Herod was sending his soldiers to Bethlehem to murder all the baby boys, before the soldiers got there, you remember God sent an angel to Joseph in a dream. And he said, pack up your family, including the baby Jesus, and go down to Egypt. So they got up and they left Bethlehem and they went down to Egypt and Herod's soldiers got there. They killed the baby boys, but they didn't get Jesus because he was in Egypt. And then he came out of Egypt and moved to Nazareth where he grew up. So those are just three. There are hundreds of Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled in Christ and there are some that have yet to be fulfilled in Christ and we look forward to those. This morning we're going to look at the very first prophecy of the Messiah. The oldest prophecy about Jesus in the Bible. It's found all the way back in Genesis chapter three. Genesis chapter three. Now, uh, we will be doing something a little different. Uh, Usually we like to dive into a Bible passage and just camp out there. Uh, I'm gonna be bouncing around scripture a little bit in the sermon this morning. So all the scripture will be up on the screen, but I would encourage you to bounce around with me in your Bible, whether it's a paper Bible or an app. Um, And so we're gonna be in Genesis chapter three, verses 14 and 15. Let me just set up this prophecy for you. You remember in Genesis chapters one and two, God created the universe And he created Adam and Eve, the first human beings. And he put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and he said, you're free to eat of any uh, fruit of any tree in this garden that you want, except there's one tree that I don't want you to eat the fruit of. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, don't eat the fruit from that tree because when you eat it, you will surely die. So Adam and Eve are there living in the garden and they're having a good time and they are in a perfect relationship with God and then the serpent, who is a symbol of Satan, we know that from later passages in the Bible, uh, Satan in the form of a serpent comes to Eve one day and starts to uh, whisper little lies to her. Did God really say you, you shouldn't eat that fruit? Did God really say you would die? You know, doesn't this fruit look really good? You know, it's going to make you wise, Do you really need God to tell you what's good and what's evil? Don't you think you could figure that out for yourself? Why don't you just take that fruit? He begins to whisper these lies to her. And so uh, Eve was deceived and she ate the fruit and she gave some of it to Adam and he ate the fruit and they sinned against God. 
And then God told Adam and Eve that they would have to leave the Garden of Eden and death came into the world in that uh, moment when they sinned against God. And as he is giving them their consequences, he comes to the serpent and he gives the serpent these consequences or this punishment from uh, Genesis chapter three, verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is the oldest prophecy of the Messiah. God was going to send a rescuer through the woman And that rescuer would crush the serpent's head and be struck in the heel by the serpent. So he would be wounded by the serpent, but he would also destroy the serpent. And this is fulfilled in Christ. This is why Jesus came. Jesus came to crush the serpent's head. We're gonna look at how he does that, and I'll tip my hand just a little bit. I'm going to show you three ways from the scriptures that Jesus crushes the serpent's head. He breaks the devil's power, he destroys the devil's work, and he sets the captives free. This is what Jesus came to do, and this is what Christmas is first about. Jesus crushing the serpent's head. Let's look at each one of those things. The first way he crushes the serpent's head is that he uh, breaks the devil's power. Jesus came to undo what the devil had done and the first thing that he had to do was to break the devil's power. We see that in Hebrews chapter two, verses 14 and 15, which says this, since the children have flesh and blood, that's us, we are the children that God created, since the children have flesh and blood, he too, meaning Jesus, He too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus came to break the devil's power. What is the devil's power? It's right there in that verse. It is the power of death and the power of fear. We're held in slavery uh, by our fear of death because there are only two things that are certain in life, death and taxes. I don't know if Jesus is gonna fix taxes, but he did do something about death. He breaks the power of death because Jesus took our death on himself. Jesus died in your place and in my place, but he didn't stay dead. Death was not more powerful than Jesus was. Jesus rose from the dead, and in raising from the dead, he broke its power. He broke uh, the power that Satan had in this world, hanging death over our heads, And Jesus says, you don't have to fear death anymore because everyone who puts their faith in Christ will live forever and even though we die, we will be raised to everlasting life just like Jesus. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
The only reason death exists in the world is because of sin. But Jesus took our sin and nailed it to the cross and he died in our place. And now we have victory in him. You can think of it like this. If Jesus is the one who's going to crush the head of the serpent, then Jesus comes along and he puts his foot right in front of Satan's mouth, the serpent's mouth, and he lets the snake bite him. And he takes the fangs deeply into his heel and he takes all of the venom that that snake had. He took it all into himself. And then when Satan had pumped all of his death that he could into Jesus, Jesus twisted his heel like this and broke off the fangs of the serpent. Now Satan is like a snake with no teeth. He has no more venom. He, he, he can still do some damage, but he has no power over us. Jesus took all of his power and defeated it. Satan has no purchase on our lives. The devil has no uh, claim on us. We're no longer slaves to fear. We are the children of God. And we fear neither death nor evil. We can say no to sin. We can break the power of addiction. We can resist the devil and he will flee because greater is the one who is in us than the one who is in the world, as 1 John 4, 4 says. Jesus came to crush the serpent's head by breaking the devil's power. The second way that Jesus crushes the servant's head is by destroying the devil's work. That's why he came. We see that in 1 John 3, 8. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. What is the devil's work? His, his power is death and fear. Well, what is his work? His work, well, one way that he works is through accusation. The name Satan literally means accuser. And Satan is bringing accusations against us day and night. And you've heard, you've heard his accusations whispered in your mind and in your thoughts. We all have. We've heard Satan bringing his accusations against us. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never be good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not rich enough. You don't have the right kind of education. Nobody could ever really love you. You're damaged goods. Do you really think God would have anything to do with you? Do you really think God would forgive you for that? Do you really think God could love you? Why don't you go ahead and, and do that because nobody cares about you anyway? I mean, we've heard these accusations whispered in our minds. They are from Satan himself. He is the accuser. That's his work. His work is also lying. Jesus said in John 8, 44, uh, speaking of the devil, he says he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. See, the work of the devil is lying. It's not just an accusation, but it's also in lying. Uh, he has been lying from the very beginning when he lied to Adam and Eve and said, you don't need God to tell you what's good and bad. You figure that out for yourself. Go ahead and take that fruit. Then you'll be wise. Then you'll be smart. Then you'll be like God. It was a lie. He's been lying from the beginning. And Paul said in Romans 1.25 that people have exchanged the truth about God for a lie. 
Our world is full of lies that are told to us over and over and over again. We've all heard Satan's lies whispered in our minds. You can look at her that way. It's okay, your wife will never know. You're just window shopping. Have another drink. One more won't hurt. You know, you deserve to give yourself a little reward. You've been working really hard lately. Go ahead and do that. You seem kind of down lately. I bet if you bought something for yourself, you'd feel better. Maybe you don't have the money for it, but just take out another line of credit because that thing will make you feel really good about yourself. Look at that new truck your neighbor just bought. You know, you won't ever be happy until you have a truck just like his. Oh, you're single. Yeah, you'll never be happy unless you're in a relationship with somebody. Happiness depends on that and you'll never have that, right? The devil whispers these lies to us. Look at, look at all the, the garbage in the world around us. Maybe God isn't as good as you thought he was. Does God really want you to be happy? Well, if he does, then you can go ahead and indulge that sinful desire because it'll make you happy and, and God really wants you to be happy. These are lies spoken by the forked tongue of a serpent who has been lying from the beginning. That is his work, accusations and lies. And as Jesus said in John 8, murder. Satan was a murderer from the beginning. Just look around us at the culture of death in which we find ourselves. Millions of unborn babies have been murdered in the womb before they ever had a chance at life. Uh, 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 nine states have physician-assisted suicide, right? We live in a culture of death. Violence and hatred and death are on the rise. Uh, gun violence and, and murder are on the rise all around us. People, more people are dying from drug overdose. Teen suicide is up, right? We live in a culture of death, and that death is in large part the work of the devil, the work of a spiritual enemy, who comes to steal and kill and destroy. This is his work. He accuses, he lies, and he murders. But Jesus came to crush the head of the serpent. He came to destroy the devil's work. Jesus came to overcome the lies with the truth, the truth that God loves you. God doesn't think that you're worthless or that you're damaged goods or that you're garbage. God loves you so much and he values you so much that he would give his only son to die in your place so that you could be reconciled into a relationship with God the Father. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he values you. You are God's special treasure, as 1 Peter says. That's the truth. And Jesus came to overcome the lies with the truth. He came to overcome violence with peace. He came to overcome hatred with love. Jesus said, pray for your enemies and bless those who persecute you. See, Jesus came to overcome oppression with justice. He came to, to overcome darkness with light. He came to overcome death with everlasting and abundant life that could never be taken from us. He came to overcome evil with good. He came to destroy the devil's work. So we don't have to believe the devil's lies anymore. We don't have to listen to his accusations in our heads. We don't have to give in to the culture of death 
Jesus said in John 8, 31, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that brings us to the third way that Jesus crushes the head of the serpent. He came to set the captives free. We find this in Luke chapter four. Mike read this passage. Uh, this is a prophecy of Jesus written seven, about 700 years before he was born. And Jesus read this, uh, prop, or Mike read this prophecy last week. Jesus said in Luke chapter four, quoting the prophet Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to claim the year, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, Jesus came to set the captives free. Now, there are many different ways in which Jesus sets us free. I have personally found it helpful to think in terms of three ways that Jesus uh, sets us free. For one, in one way, he's set us free from the penalty of sin. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, sin results in death, just like it did for Adam and Eve when they ate the fruit they weren't supposed to eat. That's what happens with us when we sin. It leads to death. But Jesus said, no, I will set you free from the penalty of death by taking all of your sin on myself and nailing it to the cross and putting that sin to death. So Jesus died in my place and in your place so that we don't have to. He paid the penalty for us and he set us free from the penalty of sin. He also sets us free from the power of sin. Also in Romans chapter six, verse 14, Jesus said, for sin, Paul said, for sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law but under grace. See, Jesus broke the power of the devil and he also broke the power of sin in our life. We don't have to give in to that temptation. We don't have to say yes to sin. We can actually say no to sin. Through Christ and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, we have the power to live the way God called us to live, to be who God created us to be. Jesus set us free from the penalty of sin and he set us free from the power of sin and someday when he comes again, he will set us free from the very presence of sin itself. And I don't know about you, but I am so looking forward to the day when Jesus returns and he removes all the presence of sin out of my life because I'm excited that I don't have to pay the penalty of sin. I'm excited that I don't have the power of sin over me, but I still have a lot of sin present in me and I'm excited for the day when Jesus says I'm going to remove the presence of sin from you so that my motives no longer have to be twisted by sin so that my relationships no longer have to be tainted by sin so that my actions no longer have to be uh, messed up by my sinful heart God is transforming us and he is setting us free and when Christ returns, we will be free not just from the penalty and the power but also from the very presence of sin itself. Jesus came to set the captives free. The question is, are you free this morning? Do you feel free? Do you walk in freedom in Christ? Do you want to be free? All you have to do to be set free by Jesus is to turn away from your sin 
and follow Jesus into freedom. That's it. It's as simple as that. It's kind of like the song that we sing sometimes, I lay me down, I lay me down, a a living sacrifice to you. And the next line of the song says, freedom is now the song of my heart. See, when we will lay ourselves down, when we will lay our sin down, when we will lay our pride down, when we will lay our selfish ambitions down, when we will lay our baggage down and our pain down and our death down, and and we will lay all of that down at the feet of Jesus and we turn away from that sin and we begin to follow God through the leading of the Holy Spirit, then freedom becomes the song of our hearts. Freedom is found when we surrender to Christ and then he sets us free and it begins with a decision to turn from sin and to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior that's why he came to crush the serpent's head to break the devil's power to destroy the devil's work and to set us free we're gonna I'm gonna have the worship team come back up before we break off into our prayer groups let me close with this passage from Revelation chapter 12 verse 10 then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the ruling authority of his Christ have now come because the accuser of our brothers and sisters the one who accuses them day and night before our God has been thrown down but they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Yes, there is evil in the world. Yes, we face spiritual attack. Yes, we have a real enemy who is seeking to destroy us. But we will overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony, by our faith in Jesus Christ and the proclamation of the good news that God saves sinners. We will overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of the testimony. So we don't have to walk around with our heads hung low, full of discouragement and despair by all the garbage that's going on in our world right now, by all the pandemic and all the politics and all the stuff that's happening. We don't have to walk around with discouragement and with our just under this heavy burden. No, we walk with our heads held high, with our hearts full of gladness and joy in the Lord because our God has crushed the head of the serpent. Our God has defeated sin and death. Our God has destroyed the devil's work in our lives. He has set us free and he will use us to overcome evil with good by his blood, by his power, and by the word of our testimony, our faith in Jesus Christ so we can rejoice and that's why we celebrate at Christmas let's stand and